Spoilers ahead. Spoilers ahead. Welcome to Max Mike Movies. Each week we discuss a movie one of us hasn't previously seen, but the other one has. Maybe a favorite film, controversial film, or one we can't believe the other hasn't watched. We'll go over the plot of the film in our show portion, go back and forth over the film's merits, points, and details in lowdown, and finish up with the roundup. We decide if the film was worth seeing, if it's still worth seeing, and if it's worth seeing a second time. Hi folks, I am one of your hosts, Max Levine. I'm the other of your hosts, not Max Levine. <laughs> I'm well, Mike Luce. Yes. <laughs> well, not over here is the one who has not seen this movie. No, not over here. Yes, well, not actually not has seen this movie here because we're here together, again, for one of the, a rare time, seeing this movie, so not was here, was not. Yes, I am. I live here. Okay, we may have to start over. I'm sorry, <laughs> you're making my head hurt. So uh, this this time we took in the 1987 Coen Brothers movie *Raising Arizona*. The show. When a childless couple, an ex-con played by Nicolas Cage, and an ex-cop played by Holly Hunter, decide to help themselves to one of another family's quintuplets, their lives become more complicated than they anticipated. So an oversimplification, but I think it sums it up. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, that's pretty simple. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I, I have to ask, because mm. this is a very important thing to me. Is there any trivia to be associated <laughs> with this film? Why, I'm glad you asked that not. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there, there's a whole bunch. I have a new nickname. Mm -hmm. uh, one thing, I, one of the characters I just really enjoy, even though he's incredibly two-dimensional, but he's a lot of fun, is the biker, Leonard Smalls, who is played by Randall Tex Cobb. Randall Tex Cobb is not an actor, as you can sort of tell from this movie, <laughs> because really all he has to do in this movie is walk around and look menacing, which he's really good at. He is a former heavyweight boxer. Oh, that explains the nose. Yes, okay. that is why his nose is three feet across his face. <laughs> and the scar tissue around his eyes. Yeah, see, I was thinking... Why does he talk so funny? Like, is that a real nose? That's not a real nose. That is, Apparently, um, sadly, nose. that is his real nose, or what is left of his real nose. Uh, he was, uh, and I, I'm getting this from my boxing expert, Seth, who talked to me about him once a long time ago. He was an adequate boxer. His main thing was he was remarkably eloquent and clever in his interviews. He was a lot of fun to listen to. I float very much like a butterfly. <laughs> and I sting, I sting in a manner similar to a bee. Similar, yes. Like that, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the, the thing is, one of the trivia points is, Randall Tex Cobb did not know how to ride a motorcycle when he started this movie. Did he know when he ended the movie? Well, yeah. There's a scene where he rides up to inspect the hole that the two convicts, Gale and Evel, uh, one of whom is John Goodman, the other is someone I don't remember, climb out of. The first time he did that, he actually crashed into the hole. Oops. Yeah. Uh, real quick thing, I don't know if you looked this up. Evel, how do you spell spell that? E-V-E-L-L-E. -E -L -L -E. It's almost like evil, but not quite. It's almost like they thought they were having a girl, loved evil Knievel, and let it stay. Well, probably like uh, Eve, or it probably was a family name. You get a lot of that right. in the Deep South. Oh, okay. I, well, this is the Southwest. The brothers but... were Gale and Evel. Yeah, Evel. 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 Yeah, it's Evel. odd. Both of them have, gen in effect... Names that swing for both genders. Right. Yes. <laughs> the other thing, Joe, Joel Cohen talked about working with Randall Tex Cobb, basically saying he's not so much an actor as a force of nature. 
you just sort of have to point him in the right direction. He was apparently kind of hard to work with, not because like he was a diva or anything, but he just was almost uncontrollable. I think the term is devo. <laughs> well, he might not. Are we not men? <laughs> He's a boxer. Mm -hmm. Anyway. A couple other things. Holly Hunter's character, uh, Ed, short for Edwina. If I want to talk about the names in the movie. Okay. We'll get to that. Yep. Uh, that part they wrote for her. She was the one they had in mind. Oh. Uh, Nicholas Cage wanted the part. You know who who auditioned for it three times, and boy, would this have been a different movie. Kevin Costner. Wow, that'd have been dull. Yeah. Ooh. Hey. <laughs> Sorry. Well, you know, maybe if he had gotten himself a homemade Catwoman suit, <laughs> follow Joel around, going, Joel, Joel, I need to be in your picture, Joel. <laughs> Maybe that I'm sure that would have worked just as well as it did for Ms. Young. Oh, yeah. Right. Uh -huh. uh, an interesting point. I didn't notice this myself. Nathan Jr., the baby who is kidnapped, who is the one that uh, Nicolas Cage and Holly Hunter make off with and just try to adopt, is the only character in the movie who doesn't scream or cry at any time. All the adults, at one time or another, scream or cry. Only the baby doesn't. Ah! Yeah. Ah! It's a great, that wonderful scene just watching John, uh, Evel and Gail, who just apparently for for no reason just start screaming at each other or in or just howling well, they when look, they get they upset. The baby. You know, when they get or when they pull themselves out of the earth. Yeah, well, which is a that image where the uh, Evel and Gail are fellow inmates of High. Who is played by... Played by Nicolas Cage. Hi is an ex-con. It's H-I. It's Herbert. We don't know what his middle name. Everyone calls him H-I or Hi. He's a repeat offender. He robs convenience stores almost always with an unloaded gun because he doesn't want anybody to get hurt. Oh, let's be fair. I think he robs the same convenience store. Well, there's a, it's the same one, but possibly in different locations. You know, a chain. Yeah. I think they just moved the camera. It might have been. <laughs> <laughs> and he meets the two of them in, in prison. And there is a scene where they break out of prison, Shawshank style, where they dig a tunnel. This was this was pretty Shawshank. I know, I just checked that, because yep. that was one of my only notes. They dig a tunnel, and they come up out of the earth, you know, a few hundred yards away from the prison, and it is a kind of primal, disturbing scene, because John Goodman is, like, hauling himself out of the earth like the earth is giving birth to him, because he comes out screaming, right. and then he drags Evel out behind him. By the foot. Yeah, like a breech birth. <laughs> It, it's a remarkable scene. It, it's sort of like these two are just born fully grown, but they're still in a lot of ways kind of children. They're very immature. They're, uh, there's an odd innocence about the two of them. Man-babies. Yeah, kind of man-children. What other uh, tribute have you? Oh, yeah. Well, uh, the Coen brothers are huge fans of Stanley Kubrick, and there are at least two that I caught tributes to him in that movie. I wonder, if it's, a Kubrick, I wonder if it's a Kubrick film I've seen. Uh, at least... One of them, I think, is. Well, what would those okay. tributes to Stanley Kubrick be? <laughs> One of them is the the use of the Ode to Joy. You know, is, Beethoven's is that in 2001? No, that oh. is that is in Clockwork Orange. Oh, yeah, see? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Lovely, lovely Ludwig van. Yeah, okay, so, uh, yeah, I saw that film once sometime in the 80s, and, yeah, yeah like you, don't ever want to see it again. Yeah, brilliant movie. I, I am in awe of it. I never want to watch it again. Yeah. Good night, everybody. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> And the other is, at one point, uh, Evel and Gail are, they, they're cleaning up in a bathroom, obviously like a gas station oh. bathroom, and they're smearing pomade in their hair. Yeah. I don't, I, why did that bother you so much? It just was nasty. It, like, I, I don't, 
even though I don't know, there was the sound. There was a really good yeah. use of sound there, yeah. and it was just like Squeaky. Crisco. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It's just they, nasty. The Coen Brothers seem to be into that sort of thing. Remember, uh, Oh Brother, Where, Where Art Thou? Um, George Clooney's character is always trying to get his hands on Dapper Dan hair gel. Okay. Mm. Anyway, they yeah, yeah. Well, if you look on the wall behind them, there are th there are two three-letter words: P O E and yeah. E O P. I've that's from Doctor Strangelove. Oh. Remember, that's the final uh, recall codes: P O E, peace on Earth, purity of essence. Okay. See, yeah. I was like, I'm looking at that, going, I should know what this is. It means something. Yeah. And I, I went over. My, I haven't seen maybe 1982, mm. two, three is the one I saw um, Doctor Strangelove oh, wow. at the Harvard okay. Square. Yeah. In a theater. It's worth seeing again. Maybe we'll do that one. Um, no, we won't see it. Oh, true. And oh, oh, back on Randall Tex Cobb's character, Leonard Smalls. Character Leonard Smalls is after Lenny Smalls from Mice of Mice and Men. Okay, it's like I, the name sounded vaguely familiar. Yep. I was like, okay, okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, <clears throat> the cinematic touch I thought was interesting because you don't see it anywhere else. When Florence, Arizona, the mother of the quintuplets, discovers that one of them has disappeared, there is this high-speed tracking shot that closes in on her screaming. And nowhere else in the movie do they ever use a shot like that. Hmm. And it is a direct tribute to The Evil Dead, the 1981 oh. movie at, on which Joel Cohen was an assistant editor. The original Evil Dead? Yep. The oh, God, he's one, one of those poor people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've read a lot about that film uh, and how it was made. Do you know where that film was made? No. Uh, in this state. In Michigan? That house is in Michigan somewhere. Oh, no kidding. Yes. Huh. And um, apparently it was like... When you see the house out in that film and it's all nasty and stuff, yeah, yeah they just found it, and that's how it was, and it was not pleasant to shoot at, oh. etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So that's right. It could, I remember reading in one of Bruce Campbell's books, he talks about, yeah, this wasn't a set; they didn't have trailers, they had no electricity except no. for batteries for the cameras, right? And it, it was there was nails sticking out all over the place. Yeah, it was like a horrible, horrible camping trip. Uh, one, another, we're going mm -hmm. way off track here. Yeah. One of the other fun stories about Evil Dead, because we're there now, mm -hmm. is the green car shows up in, I believe, just about every one of... Oh, who's the director of that? Sam Raimi. Sam Raimi's films. Bruce Campbell has vowed to destroy that car. <laughs> Sam Raimi has said he keeps it somewhere safe. So, somewhere and, hidden from, somewhere from hidden. the wrath of Campbell. But apparently Campbell wants, perhaps with the chin, to destroy <laughs> that car. Well, I wish him well with that, because Bruce Campbell is awesome. <laughs> apparently it does not exactly run, or hasn't run for huh. quite some time. But anyway, uh, yeah. are we, is there any more that's pretty much That's pretty much it for the trivia. If you, look, if you want to look it up, there's a ton more. There are other tributes to movies. There are things like... Uh, um, apparently Nicolas Cage just loved his Woody Woodpecker haircut. Is that what that, that was? That was what that was supposed to be. Okay. And apparently, and I, I can't really verify this, because, but he claims, and the directors claim, that in the film, greater the danger he's in, the higher the wave in his hair is. Okay. I, it's possible. I mean, it's not like ludicrous. It's not cartoony. A lot of the re well, a lot of the rest of the movie is, but it's, the hair thing. That's is why I might argue that it is kind of cartoony. Yeah. I, do we know? If, uh, I don't know if you saw this in there or not. Do we know whether that Woody Woodpecker tattoo is real? I believe it's real on Nicolas Cage. Right. I don't. I think it's a sticker or some or makeup on uh, Cobb. Okay. So is that all we got for yep, our show pretty, portion? That's pretty much it for the show. Well, that describes the yeah. movie. Let's move on to the lowdown, shall we? The lowdown. 
here we are in the here low lowdown. <laughs> so, Mike, of course, the obvious question: Did you like the movie? Uh-huh. Yeah, you know, I think uh, here's the thing. Yeah, I do generally like Coen Brothers films. Most of the Coen Brothers films I've seen, I have very much enjoyed. Uh, their real recent one, Hail Caesar, I mm-hmm. thought was decent, but not yeah, one of their better efforts. Yeah, there's definitely this a, a quirkiness. There's a very Coenness. Um, yeah. About this film, this film is very Cohen Brothers. Yeah. If you do not like the Cohen Brothers and the way they approach filmmaking, I would say don't watch this. Yeah, this it's is, about as Cohen as they get. This is very Cohen esque. I will certainly agree with that. I happen to like that, but um, and I do generally like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt it was a bit uneven. Huh. Um, there were parts I definitely enjoyed more than others. There were parts that I felt were straying towards realism uh, because the <laughs> really film, well the, there's parts of the film that feel fairly like when there it's just the two of them alone uh the the, the couple holly hunter and, and, and nicholas cage um when they're together alone and the rest of the world leaves them alone their relationship is is fairly realistic mm-hmm. um, although the coens have this thing with we really like people especially to have some sort of Rednecks, they're not the right term, but lesser accent. Something that suggests they're from a lesser background. But lesser speak, background? What does that mean? Well, you don't know, like, not as educated. Oh, okay. Um, you know, uh, more, more provincial, okay. that kind of thing. But they like oh. to have those characters speak really eloquently. And there were words, like, even the the, tw- the brothers there, mm-hmm. uh, the, the moron twins. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there weren't twins. <laughs> were saying things like domicile yeah. and stuff like that. There was all these words, these $5 words thrown in, which is a Coen Brothers thing. I, I felt it was kind of uneven. Hmm. Um, I will admit, I'm not at all really a fan of Nicolas Cage. Um, he hadn't quite become Nicolas Cage in this film, mm. I don't think, because he gets more Nicolas Cagey uh, <laughs> as time goes on. It's a film that I've heard people talk about for years, and I'm sure it's one that you thought, oh, he should see this. I can't mm-hmm. believe he didn't see this. It was okay. Huh, How about right. you? Obviously, this I really a- like this movie. I, I think it is both funny and charming. And I think it's a really interesting take on family. Because you look at the... Fa- there are all these different families. De- not just uh, like different types of families. I mean, I made a, I made a list. There's High and Ed. Right. Who are... It's clearly... <laughs> the way they met was certainly interesting. Yeah, she was the police officer taking his mug shots yep. multiple times. Over and over again. And he was hitting on her while he was having his picture taken. And she was receptive. She liked him. She was obviously uh, charmed by him. And then when her fiance left her... Yep. And he, go, he goes nuts and just starts telling... You know, he said, do you tell him that, that he is a fool? That I said so? You give him my name? And you, he gives him the address of the prison where he can find him. Which is interesting because it's pretty much the only time in that film where High is basically standing up for himself and being the sort of typical male. And then the rest of the film's like, yes, dear, I will do what you say, Well, dear. no, because then uh, when he realizes, look, I, I'm not going to make it... I mean, he tries to go straight. He tries to live a normal life be, you know, for his wife. and uh, when, But he can't do it. He is a recidivist. He's a career criminal, in effect. And when he just finally says, yeah, nope, this is what I can do. That's where he's saying, this is who I am. I'm not proud of this, but it's who I am. And Ed, she's, that's the interesting thing, she's supposed to be the rational one. She's the sensible one. But, <laughs> except when it comes to the subject of the child, they've discovered... I want baby, I want baby, I want a baby. Pretty much, as she says, you know, comes, drives up in her cop car with the, with the lights going, jumps out of the car, 
goes, hi, I'm barren. <laughs> she went to the doctor. It's very sad, really, because obviously this is something she wanted. Yes. Really, They both really wanted to have a child, and they find out she can't. Right. And because of his criminal past, they can't adopt. Uh, that was very interesting that their 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 potential friends there. Well, you know, there's something wrong with my semen. Yeah. <laughs> just like, That's right. Glenn and Dot. Dot, who is played by Cone Brothers' favorite. favorite and eventual spouse, Frances McDormand. Oh, really? Yeah, she's married to, I think, Joel. Oh, okay. Yeah. Ethan, if it's you, I apologize. Yeah, I'm sure he's listening. Yeah. Hey, hey Ethan, how's it going? How you going? doing, Ethan? Um, Where's that 20 bucks you owe me? But uh, I, I, To be fair, I only know her from two... Cohen Brothers films because mm-hmm. she may be in other ones I don't Those know that's three billboards outside of Ebbing Missouri which I have not seen no, I haven't either but I she saw but this one the Oscar which for. quite honestly if I had not seen her in the credits I would not recognize her because she looks more like Flo from Mel's Diner <laughs> than she does from they um, do have fun with her hair and of course the other one is Fargo which in which she's brilliant yeah I, I honestly think this shows a really good range for her mm. because the character she plays in this and the character she plays in Fargo yeah, she's couldn't so be laconic, closer together. So. Well, the <laughs> for those who haven't seen Fargo, it got kind of some bad press, so there's a lot of people I think didn't understand it. I really liked Fargo, mm. and her character in that is just amazing yeah. because she is like she's a police chief. She's not in Fargo. I forget where she's a police chief. Somewhere well, she's else. in the Twin Cities, or just or north. Of, she's up north, right? Of up the north. Twin Cities, uh, and she's pregnant. Mm-hmm. She spends the entire like eight film months pregnant, very pregnant. pregnant, and she is like the calmest, <laughs> unflappablest police officer oh is that your buddy in the chipper shredder it's just like and it's just amazing she's an amazing character and this she is nothing like that yeah. she's she's like Eunice from Mama's family yeah. <laughs> um, I mean I, I I know we we shouldn't stick on Fargo but I saw that movie when I was living in Minneapolis <laughs> and it was great because half the audience during that is Dying, they're just howling. They're falling off the seats, and the other half is sitting there with their arms crossed and their faces like stone, going, "I don't think that's funny. No, why? What's ever? I don't really see what's so funny no, it's about not that." Nice to laugh at no, people, it's really, and, <laughs> and just made it. It made everybody else laugh harder. And then you got up to have some more hot dishes. Yep. And, um, yeah. So I, I'm. I'm uh, it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. Well, what, what other things do you like specifically? Obviously, you like some of the performances. I, you I, like the Cohenness. I like the Cohenness. I also I like the characters. I mean, High is trying so hard, and he obviously the relationship between him and Ed is so sweet because they uh, they're trying to shore each other up. They're trying to be what the other one wants to be, which is probably one of the problems. Is they're not trying to be themselves. They just love each other so much, and that comes across. Yeah, and I like the other relationships. I mean, Gail and Evel, who are clearly screw ups of the first water, just mass not just criminals, but dumb criminals. Dumb. I mean, there's a wonderful scene where they robbed a bank, and no, they haven't noticed that someone has thrown a die, not a pack, but a bomb, like a big metal canister, the old ones. That it's literally, like a camping stove yeah. jar of, of, Pro- of gas. Yeah. yeah, except it's full of blue dye, and they don't even look. They don't even notice. And unlike the dye packs, they could have just tossed it out the window. I mean, they keep well, heck, hurt. one of the people in the bank points out how dumb they are. Yeah. It's like, freeze, get to the floor. Which one would you like us <laughs> to do? Because, of course, if we get to the floor, we'll be in motion. <laughs> and again, they're kind of cartoony. Yeah, yeah. And like the big chase scene, after they have taken the baby and high robs another convenience store... Because they need huggies. Is there such a thing as an inconvenience store? Yeah, that's I have this feeling there is. <laughs> it might be. 
and he is being first he's being chased by the cashier who for some reason has a Colt Python handgun under the uh... see this goes back to my theory that I think it's the same store I think they're just basically fed up ah, it could be <laughs> Then he runs through a yard, he gets chased by a dog, which follows him, then all the dogs in the neighborhood, he's being chased by a pack of dogs, who don't seem to so much want to savage him. They're not, I think they, they just, just want to play. To run. They're having fun. They're being like, oh yeah, that's great. And you know, with the Doberman. <laughs> and, and, and the convenience store clerk, and the police. And then they get to a supermarket. And they get to a supermarket, and the police are shooting at him and in then, the market. And there's like somebody in the supermarket who just decides, well, if they're shooting, I'll shoot. I don't know yeah. why they're shooting One at this guy. One of the guy, but... pulls out a double barrel shotgun and starts unloading in a crowded place. Again, it's very... That part is very cartoony and very... Oh, I think that there's other parts that you have to say, even if they're off-screen or cartoony, like the fact that, was it three times people drive away with the baby on the roof of the car, yeah. and it's just sitting there in the road, nothing's happened, it's fine. Yeah, that is it landed. the most chill baby you'll ever find. Yeah, yeah. Um, there, it is very cartoony. Gee, mm. it reminds me of an old film called The Villain. Have you heard of it? No, not surprised. Nope. Oh, you haven't heard of it either? No. Oh, dear gods. Okay, we're taking another field trip, folks. Okay. The villain. I want to say it came out... Mm. Wait, is this the Western parody? Yes, yes. Oh, this I have like seen that. This is like 1978, oh, so, That was so bad. It starred Arnold Schwarzenegger yep. oh. and... Oh, and who, Kirk Douglas, Kirk I think. Du yes, it was Kirk Douglas, and it was oh. basically every Wiley e. Coyote joke ever done, but in a real film, like with real. Well, yeah, it was like was, a parody well, Western. Kirk, Kirk Douglas is a real actor. Yes, he is. Um, he played the villain. Of course, he did. You have to. The um, villain has to be the better actor. But I think I think basically what it comes down to is you have to say the film's a farce. It's yeah. not meant to be taken seriously. No, I think that's true. But there there are real issues in it. I mean, there's real the pain of childlessness, the the desperation to have a family, and and again. The families we see in this are so varied. I mean, Glenn and Dot, the uh, High and Ed's friends, well, and they're supposed to be their normal friends, who turn out to, first off, have four horrible children. Is it four or five? It's hard to tell. They move around a lot. A passel of four or five children. And then turns out, you know, they're swingers. Right. And they want uh, Ed and High to, to, to swap, you know, do spousal swaps. Wife swapping, that's wife. what I'm talking about, wife yeah. swapping. Which, of course, gets Glenn punched in the face. Right. But that's a type of family. And well, then there's Evel and uh, Gail, who are brothers. and Supposedly. Well. Oh, he, they look so much alike. It doesn't matter. I mean, even if he's, I mean, they refer to mostly his partner, but uh, at one point he calls Evel his little brother. Right. And they are very clearly a family. They'll, they're obviously not going to do anything that will split them up. They even, at the end, decide to go back to prison together. <laughs> through like, the same hole. They, they crawl out. back in I mean, like, the Yeah, yeah. So they, what do they expect? It's like, no, no, we were here all the time. <laughs> whole, I don't know nothing about no yeah, hole. Yeah. Um, their accents <laughs> didn't match either. Yeah. That, that was another quick uh, yeah. uh, problem I had with the issue with the film. The accents would come and go talking of Michelangelo. <laughs> uh, to be fair, uh, really I only noticed it in Nicolas Cage and uh, John Goodman. His slipped um, a bit. John Goodman, that's closer to his original accent. And Holly Hunter was just using Holly Hunter's accent. Well, when he first shows up, yeah. John Goodman's accent, accent seems a lot thicker. Mm. But, eh, you know, that's nitpicky. People's accents do modulate with depending who they're talking to. Yeah. But, uh, again, just thinking of the different types of family. And the one real villain, because... There aren't a lot of people in this movie are they do stupid things, they do bad things. There's only one really evil character. That's Leonard Smalls. Glenn is a jerk and his wife is annoying, but they aren't evil. Yeah. Leonard Small yeah. And he's the one 
he has tattooed on his arm, Mama didn't love me. And he, t- he says when he's racing Nathan, uh, Arizona, the father who's had one of his children taken, he shows up as a bounty hunter and says, I'll find him. You're offering $25,000. You know, I myself brought $30,000 on the black market when my mama sold me. And that was $1954. Right, and there's also, he talks about economics. So again, yeah. it's that sort of person of a lesser background, right. meaning less educated. Yeah, except provincial. he's not entirely supposed to be human, I think. He's, 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 there's a supernatural <laughs> element to him. Well, I thought I did think it was interesting that the first dream that Nicolas Cage has is basically of ghostwriting. <laughs> you know, yeah, about 20, 30 years ahead yeah. of time, but yeah. The, no, so he, all right, I want to get to Leonard Smalls mm. here because you're, you're bringing him up. Yeah. Was he meant, are we supposed to think that he was Nicolas Cage's character's father? I didn't get that at all. I thought that we were sh- being shown the Woody Woodpecker tattoo on his chest. No, I thought that was just to show that he was what High could become if he writ, if he stayed on the, if he didn't try to change his life. Either that or I just think it was something weird. Like, I just, huh? You know, you can t- say that people are have the ability to become whatever they want. They have the potential to reach out. That didn't. That seemed to be a little far to reach for. Yeah. for I, can't I, I didn't get the feeling. High. I didn't get the feeling. Also, not to mention the fact he's he's too young to be Nicolas Cage's father. Well, it's hard to tell. He's he, so dirty. Yeah, but he really he's not. They're they're pretty close to close to the same age. Uh, I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I didn't get that, uh, that I, at all. But he's the only truly. You know, he obviously has no moral code. He is just violent. Well, I mean, he's shooting. He's throwing grenades at rabbits for God's sake. Yeah, I mean, the problem is with Leonard Smalls is that we he he blusters real well, but we never actually see him. Besides the animals, we never see him actually do anything. Well, he beats the living hell out of them. Well, that's because I mean, he wants the baby. But yeah. for all we know, he actually is going to go back and get the twenty five thousand. That was all just a bluff to see if he could get more money. Because as soon as he says, "I'm going to call the," I'm sorry. As soon as uh, Mister Arizona says, "I'm going to call the police," he leaves. So if he's really that much of a badass, why did he leave? He was gonna. He had told Arizona what he was gonna do, and he was done. And the thing is, he doesn't just leave; he disappears. Well, the door doesn't move. Well, if he's a force of nature, then mm. then why does he actually show up and ask for money? That's I don't know. It's an interesting. Also, I like the way he did it with his voice. He has a fair. Randall Tex Cobb has a fairly <laughs> deep voice, but he pitched it very high. He had this almost squeaky. Uh, it, the voice, apart from the utter lack of emotion, wasn't particularly menacing. I thought it had a very strange nasal quality until I realized that that thing was not a prosthetic. Yeah. It was actually his nose, and that you know, mm-hmm. oh, he's a boxer. Oh, that would explain it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I wasn't as grabbed by it as as you were. Mm. I the unevenness. It's like because you're laughing, and then it's I don't know. I don't know. I think that like the early the car chase and the scene, the chase with the dogs and such. I think that sets up. The notion that you realize nobody is really going to get hurt. That while many people may get hurt emotionally, nobody's going to die. And nobody except for, and sorry, spoiler, except for Leonard Smalls, nobody dies. A lot of property damage, a lot of shooting, but well, nobody dies or even is seriously um, hurt. Excuse me, Mr. Bun-Bun. Yes, except for a, a rabbit, a couple of rabbits, and a lizard. Yeah. Well, no, and I think he only does the one that's rabbit. Right. The he, rabbit escapes. Yeah. He's like, I'm busy now. I won't shoot yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. And a, um, and a iguana or something. Or a newt or yeah. whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Except that they do that thing in movies, and it, it, I hate it. Because I know, mentally, the car's on a trailer, there's a camera truck, nobody's, it's not a problem. But people keep looking at the camera or other characters when they drive. It drives me insane. Oh, I see what you mean. It's like, you're going to hit something. Yeah, you're not what? Right. Yeah, but that's a standard film I know, trope. I know, Every, I, know. 
Besides, there's there weren't any cars ever on the highway mm-hmm. or in the subdivisions or whatever. There was nobody driving ever. <laughs> I've been to that area of Arizona. There's plenty of cars. So, <laughs> yeah. Other, what else did you? Uh, I mean, have you seen this more than once? I have. I've seen it several times. Okay. I like the music too. That's oh my god, that yodeling though. Ah! <laughs> oh, I'll kill you, kill you, kill you all! Um, it's it, a, yeah, but it gets in your head. Yeah, but that's not a good thing. <laughs> Silver Lake Dodge on Route 9 at Wellesley. <laughs> and some of the choices are so odd. The Ode to Joy, I think, is the Kubrick uh, uh, tribute, but like the lullaby that, that Ed is singing to the baby. Yeah, what was that? Because that I was talking about somebody being killed. That is a, an old folk song about a guy who's going to be hanged for murdering his fiance Or his ex-fiancée. I forget which. I think Rock and the Baby going, Poor Judd is dead. Old Judd is dead. Well, yeah, dear. but the kid, the kid doesn't know what the <laughs> words mean. And it's a, it's a sweet little song. And Holly Hunter has a nice voice. But the music is odd. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's pretty Cohen, right? It's very Cohen. Um one of the things I will say that I thought was actually kind of a shame is Holly Hunter's character. Mm. I don't really think we get to see enough of her. Mm. Um, she kind of has a, a epiphany off screen because the whole she's been the driving force behind this. I need a baby. We're going to get a baby. You're going to get me a baby, right? And we, when she says you're going to get me a baby, she means you know I get me a baby. Yeah. yeah, since they can't have one, mm-hmm. and then. We don't know what it is, but something finally gets to her and she says, what we've done is wrong. I can't, I've been looking at myself and blah, 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 blah. But we don't actually, she tells us it happens. We don't actually see it. I don't agree with that. I think that uh, we see we see that in the events of the movie. She sees what's happening. She sees the chaos that's ensuing. She sees everyone trying to take advantage of the situation. And she begins to realize this is their fault. And more and, and to her anyway, it's her fault. And she realizes that she can't, she can't do this. She can't have it. This is not a way to get a child. But I felt like she told us that. I didn't see her go through the transformation. It was like at one moment she felt one way, and then the next moment she's telling us mm. she doesn't. I got a lot of it from her facial expressions to her body language. And it's not. I don't, I'm not finding fault in her performance. Mm-hmm. I think she did great. I just felt like script wise, we didn't get enough. We didn't Could get have to see a little her more enough. material yeah. that way. I mean, clearly uh, Nicholas Cage's character High is the is more of the focus. Yeah, but. <laughs> I still, I, I found her epiphany, her change of character, completely believable. And even not just, and I, a lot of that I think is just credit to her, because it's true that part of the script is a little weak, I but she I, pulls it off. She carries it off. I didn't think that her having that epiphany was unbelievable. I just thought we didn't get to see it. Mm-hmm. That's what I wanted. I'd like to see, have seen a little bit more of her character. Yeah. The thing is, both of them, both High and Ed, are very internalized people. <laughs> a lot of High stuff we hear through uh, an inner monologue. Um, he has portrayed through dull surprise. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not being entirely fair to Nicolas Cage because the character, quite honestly, experiences a lot of dull surprise. Well, he experiences a lot of shocks, and obviously, in some ways, he's become dulled to it. He just sees... You know, well, and he's not the brightest guy in the world. We don't know that. He hasn't allowed himself to be. Well, he he's a creature of impulse. He can't plan. He just does... He just follows his initial impulse. He has no impulse control. The hard part, too, is that we know very little about really anybody in this film. Mm-hmm. We get the moment they're in. We know that, oh, he's a habitual thief. We know that she was a police officer. But we don't really know any of their backgrounds. Um, no, we know his parents are dead. 
uh, well, okay. Yeah. I mean, in what way did that affect him? We don't know. We don't know. You know, yeah. So, I mean, you know, it being a farce, we don't really need to know. But because you're bringing up a lot of these, you know, the serious parts and the family parts and stuff, it kind of feels to me like this is the part where I probably felt that the things were a little bit more uneven, that I wish there had, if there were going to be depth, I wish there had been a little bit more of it. Hmm. Okay, I can see that. I'm not saying I'm right. This is yeah, how I feel. No, no, it's an interesting point. I am, however, saying you're wrong. Ah, <laughs> well, I'm saying bite me. Sorry. The important part is that Max is wrong. <laughs> and as soon as we get him to admit that part... Never! <laughs> never! He'll never move on. <laughs> so. Uh, was there anything that really stood out in the movie for you that uh, you found particularly memorable? Stupid song. <laughs> Goddamn Apart from the yodeling song. Uh, I mean, it wasn't Slim Whitman, but it might as well have been. You know, he sold more records than Elvis and the Beatles combined. Uh -huh. Probably worked in a record store for I two think that years. Was it, yeah. I mean, it is so very Cohen. And this is going to be another little field trip, but and I'm going to forget his name. Our age is a horrible thing. I've forgotten the name of the director of, of uh, Grand Budapest Hotel. No, Wes Anderson. Wes Anderson. There's recently uh, been a lot of talk about how if you've seen one Wes Anderson film, you've seen them all. Uh, I don't know. That I think that's unfair. Yeah, I let's put it this way: even if they are very, very similar, and there's a lot of similar tropes and themes, and um, shall we say, staging. I think that there's something different in each film, and there's a lot yeah. of good performances and stuff. And I think the Coen brothers are... I kept looking at the staging going, yep, straight on. Look at that. One person on one side of the screen, one person on the other. It is, And this is one of the earlier films. The only other mm -hmm. film I saw when I looked them up real quick that was earlier than this was something called Blood Simple, which yeah, I've not seen. Yeah, very different movie. Very nasty movie. Is it? Okay. Yeah, yeah nothing. Other films that they did uh, mm -hmm. that I have not seen are Miller's Crossing, which is, I know, a very... Terrific, terrific but very violent, and oh, again, it? very disturbing. Okay. Um, and not very Cohen-esque. I've never. I don't remember it being particularly absurdist. The Hudsucker Proxy was. That's a weird movie. I, I remember I like kind of so liking much. it, but yeah. I also don't remember liking it enough to watch it again. Yeah. But they definitely go for the weird and the offbeat, which is nice because everything seems so formulized in in Hollywood these yeah. days that it is nice to see something a little bit different. Yeah. Um, and it does seem that that actors do want to work with them. Mm -hmm. um, they do get a very interesting range of actors. Do you know, uh, I, I didn't look this up, I meant to, but do you know if this is Nicolas Cage's breakout role? It depends who you ask. This was right around the same time he did movies like Valley Girl. Oh yeah, I remember seeing that six or seven <laughs> Nope, never saw yeah, that. Yeah, it was Martha Coolidge's, I think, first oh, really? movie. Yeah. Oh, see, I liked, I loved Real Genius. Yeah, it, they are very different movies. Yeah, in other words, that one was good and the earlier one was bad. Well, it's a harm, it's a very standard Romeo and Juliet sort of story. Oh. Okay. Based largely on the popularity of the Frank Zappa song, which does not show up in the movie. Oh. Yeah, Valley Girl, the song Valley Girl, which I, I, I guess it cost too much, or more likely Frank Zappa was still alive, and they said, we want to use your movie, song in this movie about no. <laughs> um, but we, no. I see. I'm trying to think of any Frank Zappa song that's shown up in a movie while he was alive. No, I don't know his yeah. music well enough, but... Yeah. What what other what he said Valley Girl was considered he might be considered his breakout role. Yeah, he did. Uh, he had like bit parts. I think he was in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. I'll never, you know, I've never seen that. Ah, you have to watch that. <laughs> I may have to watch that. Yeah. All I know is that there's um, there's Spicoli and there's a pizza yep. delivered to Sean, class. Yep. And and my favorite Martian is the uh, teacher. Oh, Ray Walson. Yep. Oh, okay. he's oh he's great, Mr. Hand. <laughs> I think that's one of his Mr. best Mr. Hand. Wait, Mr. Wait. Hand. Uh, no, Mr. Hand's gonna hurt me. No. <laughs> 
<laughs> not that Mr. Hams. Oh, okay. <laughs> that was Mr. Hams, plural. Oh. Mm -hmm. oh. Yeah, Spicoli, Sean Penn's. Yeah. I, I maintain, I don't care the ones he won the Oscar for, I think that's his best role. Oh, dear. <laughs> yes, and of course, the, le the Judge Reinhold is in it. Ah, uh, yes, Judge Reinhold. Yes. Did he make it safely out of the 80s? Nope. I didn't. Just okay. Poof, gone. That's too bad. I yeah. mean, he was he was enjoyable. He was tough. I loved him in uh, Ruthless People. Oh, yeah. And he's he's kind of he had that sort of kind of likable goofy face, but no, gone. Just like Rick Moranis. That was yeah, but he chose to do that. Rick Moranis just decided he wanted out of the business. Oh, we don't know what happened to Judge Reinhold. No, I, I don't. Oh. No. If any of our viewers know <laughs> what happened, to if you Judge know the, if any of you know Judge Reinhold's whereabouts, please, Judge, all is forgiven. Please come home. Please, you know, Judge. <laughs> Max, it's already going to make me cry. <laughs> okay, stop doing that. that hurt, you're hurting my ears. Oh, it certainly put some peaks on your overcoat, didn't it? Um, and I, I'm sorry, because you know what's going to happen is after this, we're yeah. now we're going to look up Judge Reinhold and find out something horrible happened to him. We're going to feel like... Or, or we're going to feel like we're going to look up and see, oh, wow, he's made 75 movies in the last 15 years, and we're going to feel like idiots. Or he's a senator. Yeah. Or king. That's it. He's king of a small nation. Or... Mm -hmm. Judge. <laughs> Don't would, judge us. Yes, that, would, that, that would just be too much, I think. Um, did anything stand out? Yeah. What, um, what struck? Was anything particularly memorable? Either good or bad? Yeah, yeah. either way. Um, the makeup at the very end where um, Nicolas Cage, high, has been beaten an inch of his life mm -hmm. by... Uh, I still maintains his father, but uh, by the, the creature on the motorcycle. The makeup was, was standoutably bad. Um, very obviously latexy and not good. Um, so there's there's my bad thing. I mentioned the thing about the accents, which it was it's a minor thing, mm -hmm. but and it also just that accent drives me crazy. Um, there's a couple of things in this film that just drives me crazy. There's that accent. It was like watching the remake of um, oh dear gods. <laughs> so it's a western. Had Jeff Bridges in it. It was originally a John Wayne oh, True film. Grit? True Grit. Mm -hmm. The girl who played the uh, lead. Na uh, yeah. Uh. Did a great job, but dear gods, I hate that accent. Uh, <laughs> Just, uh, this is in the remake? Yes. Allie Steiner? Yes. Okay. Or whatever. Yeah, she's, uh, she's really good. It's nothing wrong with people who speak yeah. that way. It's just it's, it's one the of those things. Bothers, yep. it just Some people me. have accents that just rub them the wrong way. I understand that. It's certain people's voices. Bob Dylan. Sorry, Bob. It's There's nothing wrong. She had a great performance in that film. Even mm -hmm. Hers was such... Wait, who did that? Directed it? Yeah. Actually, somebody pretty cool. I can't remember. Yeah. It, uh, no, it's not. It's not a Cohen. But it felt Cohen-y. <laughs> You felt Cohen-esque. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we're getting uh, yep, it. was. It was Joel Cohen. Oh, both see. They, he wrote it, and uh, yeah, both of the Co it was a Cohen brothers. I thought that each, her yep. her delivery and her her speaking mm -hmm. felt very Cohen-y. You were right. All right, there we go. Yeah. By the way, I I we are wrong. Judge Reinhold has continued to work for years, <laughs> including one one uh, episode of Arrested Development where he appears as the Honorable Judge Reinhold. <laughs> All right. Well, there you go. Yeah, he's done a lot. Sorry, to be, Judge. Yes, to be honest, he's done a lot of movies I have never heard of, and a lot of made-for-TV movies, and uh, some voice work. So, oh, good for him. Yeah, you know, hey, he's done more than I've done. Yep, yep. Thank you for agreeing so quickly, Max. <laughs> Besides its Cohenness, um, you know, not really. Hmm. I, I wish I could say that something did. Just the film didn't. It grabbed me in places where I laughed. I liked it. What do you think of it visually? Very dry. Well, it's very dry, dry film. It's except, Arizona, except perhaps. What, so. Well, except that one point we're in the, we're in the um, sub-development, and it has obviously rained, and I'm like, I call no way. 
Well, and when uh, uh, Gail and Evel escape the oh, first yeah, time, pouring. it's pouring. Yeah. The whole night it, it does, pours. It does happen. Um, Arizona has a rainy season. It never, never rains in Southern California. But, but man, it pours. Man, man, man it pours. It pours. Yep. Yeah, I know. That was just a situation. Uh, Mike, you do know Southern California does not include Arizona, right? I read it in Discover Magazine. <laughs> Don't dispute me. <laughs> All right. Yeah, no, so what, what, what you obviously liked a lot of the performances. What oh, were yeah. the other standouts for you? I, I, I always love the background characters in the Coen Brothers movies. and I mean, I like the, the old man in the, uh, in the convenience store that Evel robs and say, now you count to 825. All right, mister. He gets down on the floor. One Mississippi, two Mississippi. And he's doing it. Until they come back. Yes. 790 Mississippi. Oh, shoot, they ain't coming back. And, of course, they come back because they've left the baby yep. on the ground. Yep. And he goes, uh-oh, and goes right back down to the floor and... <laughs> Or the old guy in the bank. And it's like, well, sir, if we go down to the floor, then we'll be in motion. <laughs> or the, or, the, or that, uh, the, the prison, little things like every time High is escorted into the prison, there is this one terrifying, enormous, bald prisoner always mopping the floor. And he, he walks he by. The spot. And he always walks by. And as he walks by, the big guy turns, looks at him, and just goes, <sighs> every, And I, I love that. It's like, wow, I, I know everything I want to about this character right now. Do we know who played the psychiatrist in the? I don't know. I don't think he was a major name. Well, I wondered if it was, if it was a Cohen. Because one thing mm. you asked if something stood out, and the one thing that stood out was he was wearing a Jewish symbol. Mm -hmm. He was wearing a Star of David. No, it was the little pie sort of symbol. Oh, that's right. That was another. That actually was another uh, trivia. He was wearing very specifically the Hebrew letter, the Hebrew sigil for Chai. Oh, God. Mm -hmm. Really? Yep. Life. Okay. Yep. Or high. Mm -hmm. yeah, okay. <laughs> so it was a joke. Yes, it was a joke. Hey, here's a standout. Uh, pretty much no people of color in this film. Yeah, yeah, they were... Well, no, they were. Uh, no, they... His, color, his, white is a color. No, no, no. His uh, prison mate, his cellmate. Uh, True. The guy in the upper bunk, he was black. And the guy who <laughs> felt he was trapped in a woman's body. You mean Bubba Gump? He's <laughs> not Bubba Gump. He's a no, but terrible. the way he's just, ah, and then this happened, and then this happened. Well, I've been getting the menstrual cramps, something fierce. <laughs> yeah. I have to admit, uh, it's not a lifelong ambition or anything, but I would dearly love to be a background character in a Cohen film just so I could have one a line like that. Yeah. You know, the menstrual cramps have been doing me something <laughs> awful. <laughs> It's like, that's fine. I don't need to do more than one. Just one's fine. So, you know, Joel, Ethan, if you're, you know, looking for people in your, in your he, film to he, deliver you one right here, I can do accents. Mm -hmm. Yes, he can. Like, here's my Midwest accent. Hi, y'all. I'm in the Midwest. How's that? <laughs> wow. Goosebumps. <laughs> what else are you looking up? Mm. Oh, that's right. One of the, a fairly serious actor who was, who has, again, a tiny part gets a job at a as working a metal press. Yes. And there's oh, yeah, the, that guy. That guy who's out there telling about it. Eh. Wasn't he the Ajax man? I don't know about the Ajax man. That was M. Emmett Walsh. He's been in he's a character actor. He usually oh, plays he was cops. A Blade Runner. Yes he was. He was the captain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh I can't think of his name. I should be able to find uh, oh well. Gantz was it? Uh, no, you're thinking of Gav and that Gav, was right. um, that was, that was Edward James almost. Right, right. Yeah. When I don't need the names, those I can pull out of a hat. Yeah, because oh, he comes up to him when he's getting his noodles, and he says, "So and so wants you." I can't remember the name. Mm -hmm. Oh well. Yeah, I'm sure somebody will write in and tell us how we're a wrong That's and b right. we got the, we forgot the name. I'm sure one of our many many listeners will uh, be able to tell us. Both of them. Yes, yes. One of our one of our handful of listeners. 
Uh, anything else you'd um, like to bring up about this film? No, I think that pretty much covers it. I, it isn't. I don't think it's as rich fare as our other ones because it's really a movie that's clearly mostly about made made for fun. Yeah. It's supposed to. It's a comedy. It's supposed to be more lighthearted. But again, I do think it's about family and it's about love. I mean, High at one point, I, I thought was it's kind of moving when he's writing a letter to Ed saying he's going to leave because in his heart he genuinely believes it's better for her and the child because he says he says I'm I'm not a good person. I'm a habituate. I am a habitual. I'm a, I am a recidivist. And I, I it's, this is my shame, and I feel terrible about it, but I think it's best. Well, then why don't we move right into the uh, roundup? Okay, let's do the roundup. The roundup. Would you want to see this movie again? You know, I probably wouldn't bother. Nah. Um, if it was a social situation where people were like, hey, we're going to get together and have a party and then we're going to watch Raising Arizona, I might be, eh, you know, it's all right. I would not seek it out. Hmm. Am I glad that I saw it? Sure. It was different. It was very much a different time for making films. I feel like indie films had a lot better chance back in the 80s and 90s than they do now. Mm. These days it seems that the only things you're likely to see are big budget films that you're supposed to like. Yeah, well, they talk about that as sort of a golden age for the indies, but nowadays a lot of big name actors want to do indie films because it gives them better street cred. Or it, uh, it makes they, they appear, yeah, it seems more like uh, they don't want to just do formulaic stuff. Yeah. I think the indie scene is fairly strong. The problem is it's less indie than it used to be. Well, I, I think it also just costs so much more money to get a film A yeah. made and B distributed. That's true. But, you know, I can't even remember the last time a film like and I'm not even sure that this is fair to call this an indie film because it's kind of not, but I'm trying to remember the last time a film like Juno made a big splash. Hmm. You know, it's like it seems like it's got to be big budget, it's got to be big names and otherwise that's it. We're not going to I think it's fair to call Juno an indie film. Nobody knew Ellen Page or Michael Sarah. And they still don't know Michael Sarah. They do know Michael Sarah. <laughs> well, they only know him as um, the voice of Robin from Lego Batman. <laughs> His most famous role ever. And Scott Pilgrim. But they don't know him from that. They know him from that. <laughs> but it's like that film I actually went to see that film because mm -hmm. I heard so much about that film. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like it, it's like you can hunt out, if you're in a bigger city, you can hunt out films and go see films. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that it just feels like to me, and I could be wrong, but I, it feels like to me that there's more of a chance of an indie film making it into a theater then than, it, than there is now. Well, yeah, but there are also other venues now. People release indie films straight to Netflix or uh, Amazon or iTunes. Which is a whole different thing, right? Because it's not... More like you think it's more like vanity publishing? No, no, it's not that. It's not. I'm not saying that. The, I'd actually say that if anything, Netflix has increased and HBO have increased the mm. quality of television mm. to the point that you know you were saying a lot of actors want to do indie films. Well, it's obviously a lot of actors who would never have considered doing TV before mm. are now like doing TV because some of the more serious stuff is being done there. Huh. It's just that to me, there's still this big difference between going out and seeing a movie yeah. and watching it at home and oh, Netflix. Oh, it's a very different experience. There's no question there. Well, at the very least, you can get up, <laughs> right? Because like, yeah. when you're going to see a movie, unless you really have to get up, you're probably not going to. You're going to sit there. There's no reason for you to move around. You, you're going to be focused on the You film. give up a certain amount of control when yeah. you go to the movie theater. That is true. And I, that's movies are made that way. They're made to be 
Mo I, unless there's been a, a serious paradigm shift, nobody makes a movie going, okay, this is probably where someone's going to hit pause and go use the John. Ah, uh, you mean back in the 50s and 60s when they'd make monster movies knowing full well that they were just there to get butts and seats and yeah. then they'd start necking after 20 minutes because really nobody cared where the giant spider came from. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or whose father it ate or <laughs> whether the daughter would get the necklace back. I'm sorry, bracelet back. This um, is sounding oddly specific to Earth versus the spider. No, I just made this up. <laughs> If you haven't seen Earth vs. Spider, I'm not at all surprised. Yeah, anyway, yeah, yeah. Um, And you obviously, you, you like the film. I do. I like the film. I might even see it again. Well, you have seen this. it. Again. I have. I would see it again after Would you this? say that the average viewer, average movie viewer, would enjoy this film? Because it, yes. it is a, it is I, I a product so. of this time. I don't think that, there's no anachronisms in it, really, to me. Because anachronism, anachronism is something that's like, stands out that could, that really dates a film. And mm -hmm. there's, you could have, Take the entire script exactly as it's written in film it now. Yeah, again, maybe there'd be some cell phone use, but yeah, other yeah. than that, who cares? It's for, otherwise, yeah, it's fairly timeless. And uh, yeah, I think I think even people who are in general not big fans of the Coen Brothers, and there are a lot of people that they rub them the wrong way. Yep. I think they would like it, like me and Nicolas Cage. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, you know, I'll Sorcerer's Apprentice. You know, he was. Oh. <laughs> oh, you had to pick that one. Why don't you go for Wicker Man? Oh, because I haven't seen it. Yes, but you know his famous line. Not the bees! <laughs> <laughs> or, let's see, yeah. um, uh, Johnny Blaze. Nope, didn't like him in that. Didn't like uh. him in Face Off. Wait, was no, Snake Eyes. Snake Eyes, Which yeah. is the one where he... Sw no, it that's was Face, face off. off. with John Troll. Actually, that one's kind of fun because that's... Obviously, someone said, okay, Nick, whatever you want. Here, see, see the reins? I'm taking them off. <laughs> Go! But then again, there's National Treasure. <laughs> hey, I know people who love that, the first one. I... Might yeah. have watched it uh -huh. a time <laughs> or five. It's a guilty film. It's like there's sure. nothing. I, it's it's sure. one of those films. Where like I believe none of this. <laughs> oh, I want to see what's in there. Oh, treasure. Wee. But whatever. So there you go. And I think that uh, we've got one. Yes, I actually have got two. Yes, I think it's worth seeing. Mm -hmm. One that's uh, worth seeing multiple times. Yeah. One, eh, and uh, we think it probably holds up. Yep, I think so. Well, okay. you know what that means. Mm -hmm. Well, I, hope, uh, I oh. was hoping you knew what that oh, meant. Oh, damn. Um, I do, but it's a secret. You can tell I can't, me. Nope. I'm no, your co-host. I'm sorry. If you can't tell me, what can you tell? Well, I'll tell you after we're off the air. Oh, are we yeah. on the air? Yeah, we are. Oh, well, technically we're not. Well, technically we're being... <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> I can't. You're in my house. Hey, kiss. You could knock it off with your vaunted well, Vulcan logic. All right, so this brings us to the end of another yep. Max Mike movies. Indeed. Um, which is probably a good thing. Um, <laughs> join us next time when we pick another film that one of us hasn't seen, one of us has seen. Until that time, I'm Max Levine. No, he isn't. I'm Max Levine. No, I'm Max Levine. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll, talk, we'll uh, talk at you another time. Well, I'm not Max Levine, but no, I play one on TV. Yeah, yes, he's Mike Luce and he knows it. <laughs> Have a good night or day or... Uh, we've got to work on Have, this part. Yeah, we really do. We need a better closing. You may leave now. Excelsior! <laughs> <laughs> hey folks, want to keep up? Next week, Max and Mike are going to be discussing the film The Wolf of Wall Street. So tune in, won't you? Thank you. Want to contact us? You can find our episodes online at MaxMikeMovies.com or follow our Twitter feed at MaxMikeMovies. Max Mike Movies is a co-production of The Voice of Max and The Movie Wrench.